Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 108, where we interview Christy Tanner Smith and hear her story of financial independence and how she's pursuing her financial freedom through real estate investing. If I could just go back and tell my college self, I would say to like not focus so much on what other people think, like your cars, your clothes, like none of that matters. Even if your family and friends think you're crazy, just do whatever makes you happy. (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my spectacular co-host, Scott Trench. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else and show you that by following the proven steps, you can put yourself on the road to early financial freedom and get money out of the way so you can lead your best life. Wherever you are in your financial or life journey, you can begin rapidly moving towards a position capable of generating a great income, saving a huge percentage of that income, and setting yourself up to make larger and larger investments on your way to financial freedom. And whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we'll help you put yourself in a position capable of launching yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am super excited for today's episode because I don't know if you know this, I love real estate and Christy is working on her financial freedom through real estate investing. Yeah. And we're really excited about Christy's story today because she just has a very unique perspective. We haven't really come across someone quite in her shoes before. She lost both of her parents by the age of 16 and was kind of on her own to figure out college, life, money, and all the rest of it. And she'll be the first to say that she didn't make optimal decisions there. But I think you and I are just amazed at how disciplined and how strong with money she was from an early age and how she's been able to parlay that into financial freedom. What, like at 27? Right. Super impressive her story is because what I find interesting is she considers herself privileged. And I don't agree with her at all. I think she had some monumental hurdles to overcome which she did amazingly well. And she's taken this this idea of financial independence and early retirement. She's taken this idea of investing in real estate to provide a passive income stream or a passive-ish income stream. And she's she's not shooting for the moon. She doesn't want to have 5,000 rental units. She wants enough to cover her expenses. And I love that that she's done that by age 27 without any special privilege that she thinks she has. And now she's able to sit back and say, okay, I can fund my lifestyle. What do I really want? Her husband wants to start a business because they have done a little bit of investing here, a little bit of investing there. He's going to be able to quit the job that he doesn't love and go out and pursue something that he does love. That's the whole purpose of financial independence. We need a new acronym. I don't like FIRE. Financial independence, retire early. Financial independence, pursue the dream you love. But that doesn't fit into a nice word. So we'll have to come up with something. No, there's, there's one. I saw somebody came up with one that was like financial independence rewire early. But that's, that's what these oh. folks are going to do. And that's the power of this is because they are so disciplined, smart, have executed so well, have bothered to learn about personal finance, haven't made bad decisions that have set them back into the hole, they are going to go out and you know, find out what their passion is on their own terms. They're not going to get sucked into a career that just that they happen to fall into. And they may go on to have that disproportionate impact on the world one day. And that's what this is all about. And love the example that they brought today. I really love the example they brought today. If you are considering 
investing in real estate, if you're looking for a way to generate passive or passive-ish income, this episode is for you. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Christy Tanner Smith, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> I met you on Facebook a few months ago, I think, and I really like your story and I want you to share it with our listeners. Can you tell me where your journey with money begins? Yeah, so I actually grew up with what I would say most would consider a pretty privileged childhood. I grew up on in a big house out in the woods, had four wheelers, all the all the toys. I was an only child too, so that kind of explains it. And I wouldn't say that it wasn't without its struggles though. So as I said, I'm an only child. My mom actually got diagnosed with a disease when I was five and was given six months to live, but she ended up living almost seven years. And throughout that time, she kind of tried to teach me like what I would have to know for the rest of my life. And my mom was very good with money. Like she always paid cash for everything. Like she built our house when she was like 23. 
like I said, cash for cars, all of that. And then she married my dad, who was the complete opposite. He brought a lot of debt into the marriage. After my mom passed away, he ended up like having his cars repossessed, couldn't keep up with the bills. So other family had to step in. So I kind of had a little bit of both. And then my husband actually grew up the same way. Like his mom and stepdad were great with money, dad, not so much. And we just kind of have merged since we found each other at 17 and started our journey into adulthood. So how did your mother teach you with money? How did she teach you about money? I mean, really it's just modeling. She didn't say a whole lot. Mainly she stuck with like, don't put a lot, like if you can't pay for it, don't put it on credit cards, don't get caught up in a lot of debt. And that was basically all I knew. I, like I said, I saw my dad with the bad examples. So I knew that I didn't want to go down that path. What was your kind of position coming into you know, be out of a high school and into college. Did you kind of pay for college yourself? Did you, what was your experience with money during that period? Okay. So going back a little bit, my mom actually passed away when I was in sixth grade. And then my dad passed away when I was in 10th grade. And my dad's situation was kind of a freak malpractice accident. So I got some money from that and that actually put me through college. But leading up to that, I since I was young, I grew up doing rodeoing and all of the money that I made from rodeos, I saved. And at the time when I was 14, 15, I was just saving for my wedding (laughs) because I got caught up in like all the wedding shows. And I was like, one day I'll get married. So I'm just going to save a bunch of money for that. So actually coming out of high school from rodeoing and all of that, I probably had a couple of thousand saved up. but. Like I said, college, I already knew was covered. And what did you study in college? I actually studied criminal justice and sociology. Growing up, me and my mom watched a lot of murder shows and I wanted to be a homicide detective, but I didn't want to go the science route. So I went the criminal justice route. And the closer to college graduation I got, I was like, why did I pick this? And just majorly regretted my majors. So what did you do when you graduated from college? So after college, we actually moved about two hours away and I was a probation officer dealing with mainly adults who were old enough to be my dad. And um, it was not an easy job. (laughs) I didn't make enough money. Like I made like peanuts. Um, I was dealing with a lot of tough people to deal with. And then I worked there almost a year and that's when we went to away for our wedding. And I saw that my job was posted while we were away at our wedding. Wait, they were looking for your replacement? <laughs> yes. While you were on your honeymoon? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh nice. my gosh. Um, well, you didn't like it anyway. So that's, I mean, that's, it's never something that makes you feel awesome. Like, Hey, they're looking to replace me. Great. Yeah. But, you know, so that's kind of got to put a damper on your honeymoon. So even before we found fire and all of that, I kind of had in the back of my head because I did have this money to fall back on that I was like, I didn't have to go after the money. I could actually pursue my passion. So I've kind of always had that mindset. It was just kind of shocking once I got to adulthood and I was like, oh man, 
everything that I've planned since I was a kid. I don't actually like doing this. So what was your position in this first job? It sounds like you graduated largely student loan free. What was your overall financial position, more or less? We were okay financially. So my husband, like I said, we met when we were 17 and he did have some student loans. He actually graduated with like less than $10,000 because he worked at Nike throughout college and they paid for his tuition. So coming out of college, all we had was his student loans. And I think his minimum payment was like 50 bucks a month or something. So other than that, we weren't in a tough position. Our rent obviously like tripled after we left our college town. But other than that, we had money to fall back on because we had been saving since we were teenagers. So what did you do with the money that you had to fall back on? Was it in investments? Was it just in a savings account? So, because like I said, my, my dad passed away the day after I turned 16. And my grandfather who raised me after my parents passed away, he had always been good with money. It was my mom's dad. And he had no idea how to assist me in this situation. So my eighth grade teacher actually stepped up to the plate and became like a mother figure to me. And her husband, she lovingly refers to him as Clark Howard Jr. Because he is like super frugal. And she is the one who was like, look, we have to find something to help her because neither one of us have ever been in this situation. So they actually found me a financial advisor in our city. And I was their youngest client. They actually lowered their threshold for me because they usually only took like a million dollars or more. So they lowered their threshold and kind of took me on. So it was like right around the time I was 18. And with them, they set me up, got me started investing in a Roth IRA. And then they just put the rest in a brokerage account. So when me and my husband were in college, like I said, he started working at Nike and he was able to invest in his 401k, purchase employee stock, and they paid for his tuition. So by the time we graduated college, we came out probably on the plus side, 30 or 40 grand. Great. So you start out, you start out with 30 to $40,000 ish financial position out of college, but a not so great job. And are, do you get married during college or after college? We got married a year after college. Great. Okay. So, and, and what's your husband, uh, fiance doing in that, in that time period? Does he, does he have a great job or does he have a job that's kind of similar to what yours was? So he stuck with Nike the whole time. And then right before we graduated college, he got promoted to another store and he was probably making around 60,000 when we came out. So what was he doing for Nike? You said he worked for another store. Was he in the retail Nike stores? And was he in management? Or do they just pay for college for everybody? So he was working at an outlet store that was about 45 minutes away from our college. We went to the University of Georgia. So there's not really anything like that in Athens. So he was driving a good bit. He worked five days a week. His only off days were Monday and Tuesday, or um, Tuesday and Thursday. So those were the two days he piled all his classes into. And he started out as a seasonal employee during the summer after our freshman year. And then he worked his way up to a lead position. But once you go full time, they would pay for your tuition. The entire tuition? 
Yes. Oh my goodness. This is a huge tip. If you're looking to get your college paid for work for Nike (laughs) or there are other companies, there are, there are other companies. It's not just Nike's the only one that pays for college, but that's huge. I mean, you, I I don't want to say you need a job in college, but you need some source of money stream coming in to help you pay for rent and food. And, you know, if you've got a scholarship, that's great. But if you don't have a scholarship working at a company, I mean, 40 hours a week is like your regular life. You can do full-time work and full-time college. I know I did it. And there's a lot of other people who've done it. Your husband did it too. It's not like maybe the most fun, but to come out with how much student loan debt did you say you had when you graduated, both of you together? It was like eight or $9,000. Eight or nine thousand dollars, and that was mainly from his freshman year when we like had to live in on campus and pay for the meals and all of that stuff. That's amazing. That's huge. Work at Nike. Okay, this episode is not sponsored by Nike, but it should be. Yeah, he. I mean, (laughs) and he was a finance major, so it wasn't like he had an easy course load because he definitely didn't. And yeah, we didn't have a normal college experience, but it paid off tremendously after we graduated. Well, what's a normal college experience? Is it just like <laughs> going to school and never working and partying? And I never had a normal college experience either. So I'm not like, I'm, that sounds judgy. I'm not trying to be judgy. Scott, what was your <laughs> college experience like? Did you work during college? I, I worked in the summers during college. I did not work during the semesters. Okay. So what was your college experience like? I did a lot of uh, the fun stuff there. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I was a uh, captain of the rugby club and uh, heavily involved in, in a fraternity and all that kind of stuff. Kept my grades up and did not work the way that you you did through college for sure. So, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Your experience Nor- is valid too. Yeah, I don't know if that's the normal college experience, but okay. So you you graduate in this great position where you have a thirty to forty thousand dollars in assets. You, 9,000 in student loan debt. You both got, you're both working full time. How much are you able to accumulate on an average monthly basis in the first couple of years post graduation? We would save a couple of grand a month. Okay, great. And what, what did you put that money towards? What was your kind of uh, use of that capital? Um, so we bought a house about a year after, it was actually right around the time we got married. So a year after graduation, and it was like your typical suburbia house, just cookie cutter, brand new construction in Metro Atlanta. There's millions of those going up right now. And we lived there for about a year until my husband realized that he needed to get out of retail and he wanted a more normal job. So he started applying for jobs and a few months later, he got a job in Jacksonville, Florida. So we had to figure out how to sell our new house that we had been in right out of year. And by that time, because where we were in Georgia is a booming area, and we were able to make, I think, about 15 grand on that house in those couple of months. And once we moved to Florida, a few months after we got here, my husband realized that corporate life wasn't cut out for him. And right around that time, we found Bigger Pockets and Choose FI had like just gotten started at that time. So, so wait, what year is this? 
This is in the summer of 2017. Great. And this is a year after you graduated. We graduated in May of 2015. Great. So two years. Okay. Okay, perfect. 17, you moved to Florida uh, with new jobs. Husband realizes he doesn't like his job and you discover financial independence. All right. I think we're sensing a turning point here in the story. What, What happens next? So we had always talked about real estate. Like real estate has always been a huge love of mine. Me and my mom used to just drive around and look at houses. And we had always talked about like, even when we were in college. So we were in college during like 2011, 2012. So the market was still down and we lived in a duplex and we even looked at duplexes while we were in college and we could have bought one so cheap. But at the time we thought it was just like rich old white men (laughs) that invested in real estate because that was what we knew personally from the guys we knew who were real estate investors or had rentals. Um, So once we found bigger pockets, it was just like our whole mind exploded. So you and your husband bought a duplex in Jacksonville, Florida. No, we were looking when we were in college to buy one in Athens, Georgia. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah. So we, we remember looking at the time. We just didn't know that people actually bought rentals and you could do that. (laughs) So once we found bigger pockets, like four or five years later, we were just like, oh my God, our whole minds just exploded from that combination of bigger pockets and fire movement. So then you went on a spending spree and you bought 57 units? (laughs) No, not quite. (laughs) So we had the childhood house that I grew up in that I mentioned earlier in the middle of the woods had been sitting there vacant for a little over three years since my grandfather had passed away. And we knew that once we, we had always talked about renting that out, but like emotionally, I couldn't get to that point. And once we moved to Florida, I was like, we have to do something because this house can't just keep sitting here. So we decided that we were going to start fixing that up, hired a contractor and everything. And then a couple of weeks into the renovation, the over the weekend, the air conditioner pipe busted and completely flooded like half the house. So that was our first experience in real estate investing. And literally a week after that, my husband found bigger pockets and was like, I want to start real estate investing. <laughs> and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? There's a hole like in the roof right now. We're not doing this. You're crazy. And then after a couple of weeks of me dealing with that whole issue, that's when I was like, okay, I want to do this. Let's make a goal to buy a rental here in Jacksonville by the end of the year. By the end of 2017. The end of 2017. This was in July of 2017 at this point. And off we went. We we had a realtor because at this time too, we were also thinking about buying like a, a, our primary home because again, real estate investing was nowhere in the picture. Let me ask you this real quick, but your financial position at this moment in time, you had, you'd have pocketed some cash from the sale of your Georgia residence, right? And you said you netted about 15,000. So around how much cash do you think you had at the time that you were going into this? Between both of us, probably like 60. 60,000. 
Great. And you had, and you're a couple of years out of college from great savings habits all the way through college and post-graduation in the first couple of jobs. You're also, are you contributing to your 401k and Roth IRAs throughout this, this period? Yes, I had been maxing my Roth IRA and then like since I was about 19 because of the financial advisors. And then my husband had been contributing to his 401k at Nike and buying employee stock at that point. Wonderful. And how on a monthly basis do you think you're saving at this point? So you have all that flat pile of cash, you maxed out your IRAs and you're saving money on a monthly basis. So actually when we moved to Florida, I didn't have a job. Okay. And then my husband actually took a pretty big pay cut so he could move to Florida. Fair enough. We weren't saving a lot at that point. <laughs> but were you still were you still cash flow positive? Yes. Okay, great. All right, fair enough. No, I, I just I, I admire the strength of your position going into it because real estate can be very scary and a big challenge for a lot of folks. But from your this the position that you guys are sitting in at this moment in time you're in, in, a, in a perfectly appropriate financial position to begin making large real estate investments. Yes. And as I said, like we did have a pretty privileged life because after my father passed away, when I got the financial or the, I don't know what to call it. What do we call it? It was, it, it's not an inheritance. You're being rewarded. You got a settlement. It's a, it's a settlement. settlement. That's yeah, it, it yes. was a malpractice settlement. Okay. But the way we looked at that was we never planned on touching that, like at all. Mm-hmm. But at that time too, I also didn't have the financial literacy to like even know what to do with that. But you don't sell yourself short because you didn't spend it. Yeah. Yes, yes. And we I interviewed Jacob Wade a few months ago and he got a settlement similar to yours and he blew it on some truck. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to talk smack about Jacob Wade. He figured it out later, but he fully admits like this was the dumbest thing. I spent all this money on a truck. And you I just struggle the- with that because like I sometimes I feel like my story can be discounted because of that. But then I also have to remind our like remind myself that like, no, we also made some pretty smart decisions during that time period too. You absolutely made smart decisions during that time period. And we haven't talked about how much this settlement was. Yeah. So, um, and to go to Jacob Wade's story, um, my dad had a small life insurance policy and I did blow that because I was 16. So, well, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily blew it. I set some aside for college and then the others, like I redid the floors at the house um, that me and my grandfather were living in. (laughs) And then I did buy a truck, but that truck that I bought has turned into the vehicle that I now drive and have driven for the past eight years. That's 13 years old. So I wouldn't say I necessarily blew it all. I wouldn't say you blew it. Spending money to live, to redo the floors in the house, to buy a truck, to get you to school and get you to work and all of that isn't blowing it. Uh, how much did your truck cost? Uh, I think it was like 15000 because Yeah, Jacob's was a lot more. Pretty fancy <laughs> truck. <laughs> Not as fancy as Jacob's. Didn't he put like neon lights underneath it and put like an $8,000 stereo in it or something? I mean, it was, yeah. he went big in his. And I don't want to, you know, Jacob figured it out. I don't want to sit here and dog on Jacob, but that's a, you know, that you handled it very intelligently. I know 16-year-old Mindy would not have been so good with a settlement. 
And I, I have to credit, like, like I said, Miss Taylor, my teacher who found my financial advisors for me, like that was exactly what I needed at that time because I need the distance mm-hmm. between me and the money again, because I was a teenager. And <laughs> I mean, even if I wasn't a teenager, I think most people are in that position, like who are in that position need distance. So they can't make crazy decisions. But well, Christy, I just have a couple of observations here, right? You, you had a series of very unfortunate events happen in your childhood, life-changing, mm-hmm. life-altering. And from my seat, in no way do I sit here and say, oh, you had a privileged upbringing, which discredits any part of your financial or money journey, right? And we see this from time to time where folks are like, oh, I had this advantage or this advantage or that advantage. You know, I, I guarantee you that most people who are listening to this episode of the, of the Money Podcast are not thinking, oh, she's in an, an unrealistically privileged situation, right? I mean, you, you overcame some tremendous difficulties. And guess what? There's big lessons to be learned here because I bet you that a lot of people who could find themselves in a situation like yours, they go out and they make very bad decisions mm-hmm. down, downstream, right? It, sounds, it seems like you had a level head on your shoulders even at 16 and made a set of reasonable decisions. You know, Were they the most optimal long-term choices to move you towards financial independence as aggressively as possible <laughs> at 22? No, but no. they were like very... like. Buying a five-year-old truck as a 16-year-old with what sounds like a large amount of cash, a large cash infusion, right, at that time is not a, a, a ridiculous situation or, or circumstance. It's not, you know what I mean? And I just think it's, it's just an interesting thing that in today's world, you feel that you need to kind of qualify your journey as privileged. I disagree. Well, thank you. <laughs> I agree with Scott and I disagree with you that you did overcome quite a few things and you still have a lot to show for it. I mean, you had a nest egg of $60,000 that you and your husband saved up. I mean, that's at what age 22? Somewhere around there. Yeah. I didn't have a $60,000 nest egg at age 22. <laughs> so yeah, you're way better than both of Scott and I. And I had I had spent some of my savings on our wedding. So, so. But you saved up for it. Here's yeah. Scott, here's you and I trying to convince her that she's good with money. Yeah. You saved for your wedding. You didn't borrow, you didn't put it on credit cards and figure it out later. That's yeah. That's commendable. Since okay, you brought so. up credit cards in our wedding, like yeah. again, we regret not finding like travel hacking. Because yeah. I was like, oh my God, our wedding would have been perfect. <laughs> I don't think travel hacking existed when I got married. Um, I, I, I think you've done a great, a great job so far here in, in this story. And don't judge any of your actions as being inappropriate or unfavorable at any point in your story so far. So I, I love it. Okay, but let, let's go back to 2017. So you're in this position. Um, you're not working. Uh, husband took a pay cut. You're in Jacksonville, Florida. You're interested in real estate investing. How do you get into that first property? So we actually just found our first property. Well, like I said, we had a realtor and turned out she was not that great. We ended up losing like four houses because of her because she was just taking forever to get back to us. So we missed out on a lot. And at that point, we fired her, found another guy. And like right away, he showed us probably like 10 houses. And three weeks later, we were under contract on our first property here in Jacksonville. 
and it was from the MLS. Awesome. I want to jump in here and say, if you are trying to invest in real estate and you are not hearing back from your agent in a timely fashion, don't let that drag out and drag out. If your agent, there's, I'm an agent. And if your agent is not getting back to you, stop using them because you, like you said, you lost out on four houses and you know, they weren't meant to be and whatever, but that's still really frustrating when you're calling up your agent, texting your agent, emailing your agent saying, Hey, I want to see this house. I want to put an offer on this house. And there's crickets unless they're in the hospital, they need to be getting back to you. And if they're in the hospital, they need somebody else to be answering their phones, getting back to you. Yes. All right. Let me step down off my soapbox now. Yeah, because it would be, you know, I would text her on Wednesday, text her again on Thursday, and she would get back to me on Sunday and be like, oh, it went under contract yesterday. Unacceptable. Are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) So, yeah, after the fourth one, my husband was like, find someone else. I'm tired of dealing with her. So, yep, unacceptable. I will give you a bit of advice, though, uh, to people who are listening because you don't need this advice anymore. But if you are working with a real estate agent and they have you sign a contract, it's called the exclusive right to buy contract or something like that. If they have you sign that contract, you need to break that contract, cancel that contract before you go into a contract with another agent because the agent that you have that exclusive right to buy contract with is technically guaranteed a commission or earns... How am I supposed to phrase this, Scott? I'm screwing this up. But they have the right to your commission if you buy a house while you're still under contract with them to buy a house, even though they didn't show you. And I disagree with that, but that's my opinion. But you just want to make sure you're not in a contract. You're not contractually obligated to buy from a different agent. So it's okay to sign those documents. Just know what you're signing and know that if it's not working out, you can break that. Well, so, so what was, what was this deal? Tell us about the, tell us about the property they ended up buying. It's in about a C neighborhood. We ended up getting it for seventy five thousand. It rents right at a thousand right now. Oh, and it had a brand new roof, brand new HVAC, a brand new kitchen that they had just remodeled. You said this was a deal on the MLS. Was it a foreclosure? Was it nope. any sort of short sale or anything? It was just $75,000 for a whole house? <laughs> yep. It's a three bedroom, one bath. And it it was just an old, older couple who was like liquidating their portfolio. Wow. Perfect. So have you had it rented out the entire time that you've had it, that you've owned it? Yes. So we actually closed on that property on our anniversary, mine and my husband's anniversary. And it's been right at two years. Awesome. So what happened next? Did you buy more? Uh, did you sit up to sit on that one and learn how to operate it? Or what was kind of 2018 like? So we had... Okay. Also during 2017, my childhood home in Georgia had finally, we recovered from the water damage and everything. And we also got a tenant in that property and they signed a three-year lease. So we're on year two of that as well. And by that time we had the two properties, we ended up not getting anyone in the first property we bought until I think February of 2018. So after that, we had plans to buy two in 2018. However, the house that we were renting, our landlord didn't want to renew our contract. 
because her daughter wanted to live in that house. So we were kind of forced to buy a primary home because we really didn't have anywhere else to live. And we were paying like way under market rent for our, our house. And so we had a primary home kind of fall into our lap and that kind of set us back on buying rental properties for a while because that was a huge expense. It took us a while, but toward the end of 2018, we ended up buying another rental that we found on MLS. And we also closed on our anniversary a year later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, December 19th is a big day for our household. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Um, So we closed on that property in 2018. And then at first we kind of had some trouble renting it out. Just the kitchen hadn't been updated. It it needed some paint. Um, But other than that, it was, it was livable, but we just decided to go ahead and spend a couple of grand to update the kitchen so we could get a better quality tenant in there. Okay. So the first property you bought for 75 and it rents out for a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. This is well over the 1% rule, which is if you buy a property for $75,000, it should rent out for $750 or 1% of the purchase price. So you're killing it there. Did you get a mortgage for that property or did you pay cash? We got a mortgage. Okay. So what is your cash flow on that property? Um, it's about 300 bucks. $300 a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the next property, how much did you pay for that? 98 <laughs> And, and what does that rent out for? Eleven hundred. Okay, so that's uh, what is the cash flow on that property? It's about two hundred. Okay, okay, so you're making five hundred dollars a month from these two rental properties. Mm-hmm. Plus, you have the childhood home in Georgia. What is the cash flow on that property? Um, it's a little over a thousand. So Wonderful. you're making fifteen hundred ish a month just from your rental properties. And yes. what is your what are your expenses every month? Like your just um, your regular living expenses. They're right around twenty five hundred. Okay, so you are you just have to have a job that pays you a thousand dollars a month. Yes, to live. Are you working now? Yeah, so I currently work with a home staging company here, and I deal I dealt with a lot of investors, so it was pretty interesting that I got to see the investing, I get to see both sides of it. Um, I get to see going all of these flipped houses and kind of see my competition, if you want to call it that. That's awesome. And what is your husband doing? So my husband is still in that same corporate job that he hates. Um, And he works for a sports memorabilia company. I guess that's what you would call it. So what are you able to accumulate now on a monthly basis? We save probably three grand a month. Wonderful. And and do you still max out your IRAs? Yes. So my husband actually didn't start maxing out his IRA until last year, two years ago. So this is the second year. And then I've continued to do that. He's continued to keep up with his 401k. Um, I don't have any of those vehicles besides the IRA. Perfect. So, so you contribute to these things and then you, everything else, you just, do you kind of pile up in the bank account for waiting for the next rental property purchase? Is that more or less the? Yeah. So um, earlier this year, we actually bought a house cash. 
how I said I wasn't planning on touching that settlement. We did bring some of it out to buy this property that we are going to burr and hopefully continue to increase our cash flow. That okay. is an outstanding use, I think, of that that money that you set aside. Now you know what you're doing. <laughs> You've got a good probability. Like how could how could you how could you have a, be- a better probability bet than that after the experience and story that you hear? Yes, I like it. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to Nerd Wallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let Nerd Wallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial.
Well, now I want to jump in and have Christy clarify. You said you're going to burr this property and not everybody who listens to the show is familiar with that term. So can you explain that please? So we bought it cash. Um, we're in the process of rehabbing it now. It's a lot longer process than we expected um, because we have run into some issues with it. And then we are going to rent it out hopefully in the next couple of months. And once we do that, we'll refinance it and get our, some of our cash back. We probably won't get, we're not planning on taking it all out. But. Okay. So BRRRR stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and then the last one is repeat. Do you have plans to repeat? We do. So to kind of jump ahead a little bit, as of Christmas Eve, we actually went under contract on a little cabin in the mountains of North Georgia. And if all goes as planned, we are planning on quitting our jobs and moving up there for a couple of months and rehabbing that property. And then we are going to rent that out on Airbnb and kind of go from there. So you would move up there for a couple of months to rehab it. And then where would you go? Would you come back home? (laughs) No, (laughs) we, we honestly don't know. Um, So while we're up there, we plan on renting our primary house out here. So that'll be another income that we have. And even once we move up there, our expenses are going to go down because the mortgage will be cheaper we won't be eating out as much and kind of those things mainly because we'll be in the middle of nowhere. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But after that, we're hoping to kind of make a fully funded lifestyle change where we can figure out what we really want to do because we just want to be happy. Like my husband hasn't been very happy at his corporate job. He knows that that's not for him and he's always wanted to own his own business. So we're, going to kind of try to figure that out for a while. Great. So, I mean, you guys graduated in 2015 and you might point out or think that you made a number of mistakes along the way. You're wrong. I think you've really done a a pretty impressive overall job here at managing your, your portfolio, your life and your personal finances. You are sitting in a position where you are seriously capable of firing this year in 2020 within the next couple of months here and maybe achieving that state semi-permanently. And your worst case scenario is you go back to one of these jobs that you don't like downstream, right? Which is one of the many favorite quotes is Joel from FI 180. My worst case scenario is everybody else's everyday life. But yeah, I, I think that it's, it's just an awesome, awesome situation. It's just the power of getting the stuff more or less right in college and in the years following graduation, which you guys did. And that's what we've said. Like I said, we want to give ourselves a few months to kind of figure it out. And I told my husband, I was like, if we end up moving back to Jacksonville, like he knows that he could go get another job like he has right now. And it wouldn't be an issue. Yep. Well, when most of your expenses are paid or all of your expenses are paid, I mean, the the $300 that the one property cash flows, that's after mortgage, after taxes, after all the expenses, right? That's mm-hmm. just extra money that comes into your pocket after all of your expenses are paid, you could literally work at McDonald's or Starbucks, or I think actually Starbucks gives their employees healthcare and Costco Mm -hmm. is a great place to work. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that don't have these pressures that then you can go and live the best life you want. And that's, that's what we're shooting for. That's just five (laughs) short years after graduation. 
Five years after my graduation, I was not doing this. And I don't really know how to fit this in. So I'm going to kind of go back a little bit. So my husband actually like wasn't really focused on paying off his student loans. He was just kind of, he's like, oh, it's not a lot. I'll get there when I get there, you know, because like I said, his minimum payment was like $50 a month. But since we found fire, he like, it's funny when you look at his personal capital account, you can like literally see like the drop off on his student <laughs> loans because he's like, da, 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 boom. <laughs> so he's like made that a priority. So um, he's done with that. And then I also want to add another little snippet. So I talked about my financial advisors earlier. And just the older I got and the more that I learned about personal finance, because like I was never a math person or a numbers person. I just, didn't care about that. And I would get my monthly or my quarterly statements and I would just hand them over to my husband because I'm like, you're the finance, like (laughs) your degrees in that. I don't care about it. Just look at it. And he would be like, oh yeah. Okay. Um, I honestly don't even know if he looked at my stuff. (laughs) But but after we found fire, I just kind of like dove head in and I was like, I, this is awesome. Because before we didn't really have a plan. We were just, we knew we had made some smart decisions, but we just didn't know what for. So once we found that, it just kind of all made sense. And I was listening to one of the Cheese FI episodes about like the fees of the financial advisor and all of that. And we sat down and started looking at it. And we like got mad at ourselves, honestly, because we were like, why have we let this go on for this long? So I actually ended up firing my advisors around this time last year. And that it's going to save me who knows how much money over the course of the rest of my life. Well, let me ask you this because I think that the non-fiduciary, non-fee only financial advisors, the folks who make money by selling you financial products, I think they're a dying breed and that industry is going. And I think that hopefully shows like this one and other ones are going to contribute to that decline. Perhaps in in your case, they actually were helpful to some extent. No, I totally agree with that. Because they might have helped influence you away from that money in a way that might not have been very productive. Yep. No, I 1000% agree with that. Um, It was exactly what I needed in my life at that time. It was just the older that I got and learned more about it, the realized that I had grown from that. Well, I think that's a good... Lesson, lesson's not the right word. That's a good tip for people who are listening now. If you have had your money in an actively managed fund with a commission-based financial planner, now's the time to look at what you're paying for. Are you getting value out of what you're paying them? We had Kyle Mast on, oh, episode 41, maybe? And he was saying that actively managed funds pay a commission. Some of these these investment vehicles pay a commission to the financial advisor, and they're not always acting in your best interest. They they could be acting in your best interest, and it also they get paid for it. But I think uh, Kyle didn't say this. This is my own quote: "The worse performing it is, the more money the commission pays." I don't know. Um, I don't have any commission based assets anymore, I don't think. But yeah, if you are not with a fee-only financial advisor, then look at what you're paying for and see how you can get more value out of that. And my fee was like one and a quarter percent of all assets under management. That's not the best. Yeah. 
but <laughs> it prevented you from blowing it when you were 16 or 18 exactly. or 21 or whatever. So yeah. again, your mistakes, I don't consider mistakes. No, I, I totally agree with that. Like I said, I think it was exactly what I needed at the time. It was just, you know, the older I got and the financial advisor, he's always like, I hear him, he has a podcast. So he, I always hear him like, oh, The Millionaire Next Door is my favorite book. I read it when I was 18. And I'm like, hello, like I was your youngest client at 18. Like, why did you not tell me to read that? Like we could have avoided so much. I probably would have got a freaking jacked up truck. But... <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. So yes, if you are, you know, and still one and a quarter is not a bad price to pay for the advice that you got Mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, look how much you've put in your Roth IRA. Yeah. Okay. It is now time for the famous four. These are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Christy, are you ready? I am. What is your favorite finance book? Since I just touched on it, I'm going to say The Millionaire Next Door. (laughs) Great choice. Because, I mean, really, I should credit a little bit to um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I bought it at a yard sale like three years before we found fire. And then I didn't read it until after that. And once I read it, I was like, wow. But once I read The Millionaire Next Door, it just kind of like all clicked. I was like, this is what we want. This is kind of how we've already been living. And we just need to continue that. And I I told my husband, Scott, that I would give you a shout out as well, because he, I asked him this question last night and he was like, set for life. And I was like, I knew you were going to say that (laughs) because as soon as he read set for life, he finished it on a Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, he woke up and he was like, I need a mental health day. Let's go for a hike. So (laughs) we like lived a day of fire after he finished that book. I love it. Well, great. Thank you for, thank you for the plug. All right. What was your biggest money mistake? What do you consider of, of the things we discussed today? I wouldn't necessarily call it a mistake. I would call it a regret. Um, and our biggest financial regret is not buying a duplex when we were in college and house hacking. I get that. I wish I would have purchased real estate way back. Well, <laughs> I started early. I just didn't. I kept selling. Don't yeah, sell. that, <laughs> We were like, man, we even looked at it. Why, why didn't we do it? So... Well, then I, I think that the house hack, duplex, triplex, quadplex, even just single family with extra units, the ROI, the kickstart it can give your financial journey is just so unbelievable, especially in this couple of years out of college where you're not going to miss the lifestyle component very much. I mean, it's just, it's just like the biggest cheat code, I think, in this whole journey for, for most people working full-time jobs. So. No, I totally agree. And we're not totally excluding house hacking yet. It might be hard to go back to a duplex after we've lived in a single family for so long, but I'm not writing it out just yet. Awesome. On the flip side of that though, once you have a sizable nest egg, the advantage of house hacking can kind of become diluted because you've already got rental income and you've got a larger amount of assets now that you can deploy in something. So investing 12, 15K at a 5% down on a duplex isn't that meaningful to your overall financial position now that you've spent several years making great choices and are on the verge of fire. So it's kind of an interesting trade-off where it's really the most effective in kickstarting you early. Mm -hmm. It can always be effective, but its utility diminishes as your net worth grows. On the other hand, if you buy a duplex and you live in one half for a year, you get the lower owner-occupant 
mortgage rate. And when you move out, you don't have to refinance. You can keep that lower owner occupant mortgage rate. Just a tip. Okay. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? If I could just go back and tell my college self, I would say to like not focus so much on what other people think, like your cars, your clothes, like none of that matters. Even if your family and friends think you're crazy, just do whatever makes you happy (laughs) and start early. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right. Most difficult question of the famous four. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Okay, this was difficult. I had to pull the interwebs for this. So how did the butcher introduce his wife? Ooh, I don't know this one. Bit by bit. I don't know. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Oh, meet Patty. (laughs) Uh, Even better. Even better. That's way better than your answer, Scott. Uh, Much better, yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We're totally Uh, leaving that in. And if you have a note for Scott about how inappropriate that just was, you can reach him at scott at biggerpockets.com. All right, Christy, where can people find out more about you? You can find me. I'm pretty active in the Choose FI group, but we also just started an Instagram where we're hoping to kind of post more about our little cabin and redoing our properties. So we are going to be over at Dreams Two Streams on Instagram. Is that Dreams the number two? T-O. T-O. Dreams Two Streams on Instagram. Awesome. I'm super excited to see what you do with this little cabin. And I'm starting an Airbnb this summer. So I'm very excited about that. And I want to hear how yours goes so I can learn from your successes and any missteps. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. No, I'm excited. Our friends just bought a place up there too. So we're going to do it together. So. Oh, nice. Well, they're a little, they're a couple of miles away, but we're going to learn it all (laughs) together. Perfect. Perfect. Well, that's awesome. Well, Christy, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. You know, starting early, making small incremental steps towards successful financial management is going to put you at early retirement and like super early retirement. How old are you now? Like 24? 27. Oh, 27. Okay. Well, still you wish, listen, 27 and no job and all this money coming in from all your rental properties. You're in a good place. Thank you. Okay. From episode 108 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, this is Christy Tanner Smith and Scott Trench and Mindy Judson, and we are out. reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, 
Where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.